Thank you. Morning, everyone. Well, <clears throat> this morning will be the last lesson in this mini-series. Um, I just felt, you know, the Holy Spirit say, bring it to an end. Okay, fine. And then next week, we'll continue in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 19, verse 13. So if you're reading ahead or whatever, that's where we'll be next week. Matthew 19, verse 13. But this morning, we continue and finish what we've been dealing with concerning God's purpose in marriage. Father, thank you so much. Father, for not only doing this great work of salvation in us, but Father, giving us your word by which we are coming to understand you better by the Spirit. Father, this word which opens to us a revelation of who you are, how you are, your purpose. Father, which reveals us to ourselves because you already know us. Father, thank you for equipping us, leading us and guiding us and correcting us and doing everything necessary as your spirit takes the word and applies it to our hearts. Causing this word on a piece of paper to becoming the real living word of God. Fathers, we come to an end of this short series. Father, we pray that what has been taught, Father, will be seared into our hearts and our minds. Father, so that we not only know something about marriage in a different and maybe deeper, clearer way, but that we live it, that we live it for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, by now, I think all of us probably know that God has created marriage as the one flesh How many of you, without looking at your notes or anything, can give me the Bible verse for one flesh? Who can do that? Raise your hand if you can give the Bible verse for one flesh. They are now become what? The two have become one flesh. What is it? Genesis 2, 24. Major, major verses of Scripture. Major verses of Scripture. And so... We could, in a way, put on the label of every Christian marriage one flesh as the image of God's oneness. And so God has created male and female. Remember in verse 1, chapter 127, he created them male and female. And then when we get to chapter 2, verse 24, we find out why did he create the male and female to join them together as one flesh? Why did we do that? Why did he do that? 126 tells us because he has made male and female the people of God, but specifically the husband and wife in a very clear and compelling revelation of who he is. Let us make man in our image and according to our likeness. So there's no other relationship in all of the world that so clearly and dramatically 
and so compellingly reveals God's oneness as the relationship, the one flesh relationship between the husband and the wife. This is the clearest and most the most compelling revelation of who God is. And so the relationship as the fellowship and the relationship of the husband and wife, how they walk together, how they relate together, how they carry out their distinctive roles together, in that is reflected the relationship and the fellowship that exists among the three persons of the one being of God. And so hopefully what this is doing for us has taken the whole concept and understanding of marriage and has lifted it up into the heavens in a greater way than it ever was before. Now, it is this one flesh reality. Where is one flesh? Genesis 2.24. We must know these scriptures. It is this specific. It is this one flesh reality. May I repeat that? And it may be in your notes. It is this one flesh reality that is the specific target of Satan who desires to disrupt and distort this one flesh reality in its purpose of reflecting God's oneness. Satan is continually, constantly, and unfortunately very effectively is attacking marriages in all sorts of dimensions and areas under all kinds of circumstances. But he has one purpose. His arrow is for the purpose of striking at the unity of the husband and wife as one flesh. That's the point. That's the point. There's any difficulty in the marriage, and I've said this to many couples, there may be a financial difficulty. There may be a relational difficulty. There may be a a difficulty with one of the children. There may be a difficulty among some of the other family members. Whatever it is, I always want to emphasize here is the potential problem in here, that this whatever is happening will be used by the enemy, and it will be used by the enemy to in some way, to some degree, begin to touch that unity between the husband and the wife. That's what we must guard at all times in our marriages, in the church in general, but specifically in the marriages. Now, you know, since this is the case, none of us should be surprised and dismayed about the great conflict and the battle that so often occurs in marriages. Why is it that two people can walk as friends? I married a couple of several years ago. They had been friends for years. For years. And so he finally came to the revelation, men are a little slow. He finally came to the revelation that they should be married. And so I said to them, now, be aware that when you marry, issues are going to occur that are going to begin to rub against both of you differently than when you're friends. Well, we've been friends for six years. We, it's not the same. 
And guess what their testimony was after they married after a while? How did you know this? Because, you see, Satan doesn't talk at friendships as he does marriages. It's that husband and wife. It's that unity that he's after. Because in order to attack the unity of the husband and wife, what is his ultimate target? The revelation of the unity of the persons of God. That's his target, ultimately. He's going to attack in any way he can the unity of the husband and wife in order to get at the unity within the Godhead. That's what's going on, husbands. That's what's going on, wives. That's what's going on in the church. And we need to be very, very, very aware of that, discerning of it. Any any issue at all in the marriage. May I repeat that? Any and every issue in the marriage, Satan will use to attack your unity. We need to be aware of this. And we need to be ready for it. So this morning I want to conclude this series by looking at four words in 1 Thessalonians 2.18. Is that in your notes, 1 Thessalonians 2.18? And why don't you turn in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians 2.18? It's in the T section of letters. Thessalonians, Timothy, Titus, you know? That's kind of how they did it. It's before Revelation and after Genesis. (laughs) So it's somewhere in the New Testament. It's about three quarters of the way through. 1 Thessalonians 2.18, I want to emphasize four words. As I believe the Lord, I was not going in this direction, but come Friday morning, may I repeat that, come Friday morning, the Lord literally changed everything I was going to say this morning. So I just have to take it as I get it, correct? What are the four words? Look at the end of verse 18, chapter 2, 1 uh, 1 Thessalonians. What does Paul say? But Satan hindered us. Now, to me, that's startling. We would think this. If there's anyone that Satan could not hinder, it would be the Apostle Paul. Do you agree with me? Would you agree with that? Other than Jesus. Wouldn't you agree with that? And yet, Paul says, he hindered us. He doesn't say he opposed us. He says he hindered us. He prevented Paul from doing what Paul wanted to do. Now, the Holy Spirit was in that, obviously, at work. But even in the midst of the working power of the Holy Spirit, there is the working power of Satan's hindering work. Always there. And this is exactly describes Satan's tactics in our marriages. Satan hinders. His purpose in any and every Christian marriage is to constantly, continually, unrelentingly hinder at every point, in every circumstances, at every moment, through every word and attitude. Hinder, hinder, hinder. 
by hindering Satan's seeks in some way and to some extent, as I've said, to create a separation, however small at first, between the husband and his wife, so that the display of God's kind of love is polluted or distorted. Now, church, that's what Satan's after. That's what is that's what he's after. So, knowing this, what are we to do? Now, there are several things we're going to need to do, but I'm not going to concentrate on everything we need to do. I just want to isolate it to a particular area. What are we to do? First of all, we need to know that God created us with roles. By the way, it should be, thanks to Bogdan, it should be Psalm 139, not 113. But I'm sure all of you would have known that anyway. We dealt with this last week. First, we need to know, and and listen to me carefully, we need to know that our God-created roles, our distinction of roles, our distinctions of personhood, the way the husband is, the way the wife is, the husband's role, the wife's role, Those distinctions have been created by God, and they are good and to be praised. But they function within the context of our natural weaknesses. Aye, there's the rub. There's the rub. They function within the context of our weaknesses. You see, it wouldn't be so bad if the husband's leadership never faltered. And was always perfect. Amen, ladies? How many of you would want a husband, and you should say yes to this, whose leadership does literally image the leadership of the Lord Jesus in our lives? How many of you want that? Don't you want it? What's the problem? Weaknesses. You got a man who fails and who stumbles and who forgets and who doesn't want to, and who is lazy, and who is hard-headed. See, that doesn't describe me. But, you know, it, it, this is what's wrong, ladies, right? Come on, come on, let's be real today. Let's be real. Isn't this what's wrong with your husband? Would any lady raise your hand on that? <laughs> Jean wasn't raising her hand. She was waving to... Steve back here. She was just waving and saying, hey, hey. It just happened to be work. You think that's funny, huh? You see, we laugh, and, and it is good to laugh, and I'm glad, we, but this is critical. It's a laughter of concern. The problem with your husband is that he is functioning in his distinct role with weaknesses. Oh, yeah, but you don't have my wife. You see, if I had a wife who respected me and submitted to my leadership as the church is to respect and submit to God's leader, Christ's leadership or as the son submits to the father, Phil, wouldn't that be something else, brother? Wouldn't that be heavenly? You can say that because your wife's not here. Don't let her get the tape. Amen, brother. <laughs> AJ, wouldn't that be heavenly, really? Think if, if, if Darlene were like that. Think. Think about it. 
all the husbands here say, please don't mention me. Julio, I don't know where Janet is, but wouldn't that be wonderful? Perry, what's wrong with our wives? They lack respect of us so often. They don't like to submit to us. They have other ways. We, they, they don't like what we do and the way we are. They're trying to change us. They're trying to manipulate. Amen? Come on, husbands. Amen? Yes. 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 Anton? Yes. So here's the rub. Here's the rub. It is in this specific area where Satan has a heyday. To hinder us. And hinder us as one flesh revelations of the unity of the Godhead. So all of us need to admit that we are filled with natural weaknesses. Anyone think you're not filled with natural weaknesses? When it comes to obeying God and when it comes to pursuing his will. When it comes to responding to one another with God's kind of love. And the devil knows it in, and, and is an expert in these weaknesses and is ever present to take sinful advantage of them, preventing or trying to hinder us from living as one flesh. Amen? Do you see this happening in your marriage? Am I the only one who has experienced this in our marriage? Or have we seen this not only in the church in general, but in our marriages? Yes. So that's the first thing. Be aware of what's going on. Be aware of where the enemy is and what he's doing and what the target is and what the venue is. The venue is our weakness. Now, move along. Second, we are to remember that the husband and his wife together. May I repeat that? That the husband and his wife together. The other day, I'll I'll tell on both Jean and me. I'll tell on her first because it just happened first, and then I'll tell on me. You see, we are called together to walk as one. Husband leads, the wife helps. And so, when we get out of the truck, I wait for my wife to open the door on her side, then I lock the truck. Why do I do that? Because I believe it's a man's responsibility to protect. So I lock my truck. So Jean has said on many occasions, you don't have to wait for me. I'll lock the truck. Okay. So, we go to, we go somewhere the other day. We go somewhere the other day. And she's fooling around in her purse. Husbands, I don't know what's in there. But whatever it is, there's a world in that purse. How many of you husbands know? Man, don't ever look in your wife's purse. She's fiddling around. So, I get out, go outside, wait on the sidewalk. She gets out, we start walking down the street. And about halfway down, she says, I don't know if I locked the truck. <laughs> okay, I have to go all the way back. And I did it with joy. <laughs> I locked the truck, come back, and I don't even know if I said anything to you that I did or didn't. I don't even know if I can. She coming back from the thing, she said, you know, I repented. I was wrong. See, the Lord showed her. God got her. He needed to get her. Then comes yesterday. And I have a question. Why don't you 
don't you go around and help her get out of the truck on the other side? <laughs> I help her get in the truck. Well, you ought to help her get out of the truck. And I'll help her get out. Okay. <laughs> you see how manipulating women are. She's already telling me how to do it. So, <laughs> so, come yesterday, we have a wedding rehearsal last night. I'm convinced in my mind it's at seven. Gene says about, what, four times? Did you check the time? No, oh, I know. I know what time it is. 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 I finally get a frantic call from Georgina. Where are you? Guess what, David? The her rehearsal wasn't at seven. They wanted us to be here for five, and I got the call at 520. You see, I don't need my wife's help. I know things. Do you see how it works? Do you see how Satan works? And he works in these things, not only in that instant, but then wants to use that as the husband, wife's crowing, I told you so, I told you so, I told you so. That's a dastardly deed, ladies. Or the husband's resentment of his wife's intrusion into what he is supposed to do. That's a dastardly deed, brothers. That's where Satan wants to get us. That's where he wants to get us. He wants to catch us in those things. So as we remember that the husband and his wife together, Genesis 2.24, as he leads, Genesis 2.15, and as she helps him him in his leadership, Genesis 2.18, when we remember that the husband is called to lead and the wife is called to help him in his leadership, together as one flesh, They are together to guard the garden of their marriage from any pollution entering from the field. They are to guard. The husband is giving primary responsibility to guard and to keep. Remember that? To work and keep. Genesis 2.15. But that doesn't relieve the wife of her responsibility to be his helper in that. Because simply, ladies, the husband cannot guard and keep the garden of the marriage without the help of the wife. And wives, the husband. A husband cannot do it without the leadership, and we need the leadership. We need the helper. We need together. It is together that the garden is guarded and kept, uh, work and kept, guarded and kept, maintained, each having a distinct role. And so the garden is to be protected from any pollution, and also they are together to maintain or cultivate the soil of their marriage as they together patiently and carefully and lovingly clear the garden of their own hearts and of one another of the sin debris so that the seeds of God's grace may be planted to produce the flowers of God's glory. That's what the husband and wife are called to do. As husbands and wives, we are the gardeners of God's field and we are the flowers of the field. And we are to work in such concert that we are displaying the concert of God in creation and in the maintenance of this creation and in the bringing it to conclusion on that great day of the Lord's return. That's what we are to be doing upon the earth. So this means that they together are to embrace their own weaknesses and the weaknesses of the other 
as God's fertile soil in which he grows the flowers of his grace. And here's, again, part of the rub. We don't want to embrace our weaknesses because we don't like them. Why don't we like them? Because we haven't understood enough of what the Apostle Paul discovered in 2 Corinthians 12, 7 and 10. When he asked the Lord to get rid of this particular weakness in the flesh. Remember that? A messenger of Satan. And three times he says, I entreated the Lord. What? Get this out of me. Please stop praying and asking God to get rid of your weakness. Stop it. Stop it. Why? Because the Lord said to Paul, nope. For in, in the midst of, and through the agency of your weaknesses, my grace is manifested. Our weaknesses must be understood as the soil in which God grows the flowers of his grace as each husband and the wife, as each together work the soil together. God is not going to remove the soil because it is the soil which is the means of growing the grace. So we must embrace the soil as to its grace potential, but reject the sin that so easily grows in the soil. What do I mean? We embrace the soil as the means of growing the flowers, but we reject the growth of weeds in the soil. So we don't dig up all the soil. We don't ask the gardener to get rid of the soil. We just simply deal with the weeds. Can you say amen? And we are to do it together. And so I produce weeds in my garden. Jean produces weeds in her garden. And what are we to do? This is also, you know, there's a larger context of church, but what are we to do? We are to, in some way, recognize our own personal weediness. Thankful for the weakness as the revelation area of our weediness. Because the weeds are there. You see, it's not the fault of the mud. It's the fault of the weeds that are there in the mud. The mud is neutral. And so I recognize and verse deal with the weeds in my own heart so that I am able to deal with the weeds in my wife's heart and vice versa. What did I just quote? I just quoted Matthew 7, 1. You'll have to look that up. Number three, once we recognize and embrace our weaknesses as God's fertile field for growth of his grace, we need to understand the instruction to the word of God, which tells us how to respond to our weaknesses. So let me move along here. I'm kind of, the time's getting along. Turn to Ephesians 6, 10 to 18. How to respond? How am I to respond to this? When I see this weakness, when I see and experience these hindering activities, what do I do about it? I don't attack my wife. I know you husbands wouldn't attack your wives. But how many of us have attacked our wives with our attitudes 
in our feelings and our thoughts. I know you wives wouldn't attack your husbands. But how many of you have attacked your husbands with your feelings and emotions, irritability and frustration and anger? You're attacking one another. Don't we see it? Are we beginning to see this? We're taking up the implements of the garden and hitting one another with it, with them. So Ephesians 6, 10 to 18. Let me just go through this quickly. Verse 10 is the umbrella instruction. This is the umbrella instruction. What does Paul say? Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. That tells you what to do. That's the umbrella. Then we come to verse 11. It summarizes how. How? Be strong in the Lord. How to be strong in the Lord? How? Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. How are we to be strong in the Lord? Put on the armor of God. Right? Very easily. One, two, three. Look at verse 12. Verse 12 explains the reason for the instruction to be strong in the Lord in the strength of his might. What's the reason? For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and principalities, authorities, cosmic powers, against the spiritual forces of this heavenly place, of the heavenly place, in the heavenly places. That's the reason we need to put on the full armor of God. There's a whole host of enemies out there. And then Paul restates the instruction in verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. And then in verses 14 to 18, he gives us the various pieces of armor to put on in order to be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Do we see that? Do we see how it works down? Just one, two, three. So what do we do about that? The husband must take the lead. The husband must take the lead to be strong in the Lord in the strength of his might by first himself regularly, daily, moment by moment, putting on and keeping on the full armor of God. And then he will be able to help his wife to put on her armor of God. Now, she has a personal responsibility to put on the armor of God. But I'm convinced that my wife, because God has joined us in husband and wife, will not be able to do certain spiritual activities and mature to a particular place unless I am involved in that and the reverse is true for the husband. God has put us together and knit us together so that we need one another for the full accomplishment of the purpose of God in our lives and for the fullness of maturity in our lives in Christ. Husbands, if you think you can mature well without your wife's help, you're kidding yourself and wife the same thing. We need one another. We need one another. And this is what Satan is hindering in us. You see, only in this way will they be able to gather to overcome the hindering attacks of Satan as they walk as one flesh being strong in the Lord in the strength of his might, putting on the armor of God, being able to stand against all the schemes of the devil. Number four, let's look at how we walk together. How to walk together in the strength of his might. Remember, be strong in the Lord in the strength of his might. First notice, what does it say? The strength of his might. What is the emphasis there? His. Please underline that in your Bible. His. 
You're not walking, ladies, in the strength of your husband's might. Husbands, you're not relying on the strength of your wife's leadership, uh, help. If you are, you're making a big mistake. We are to put on, be strong rather, in the strength of God's might. His strength, not ours. Remember what the Holy Spirit told Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, 7 to 10. My power, whose? My power is perfected in weakness. My power. See, the issue is, and we need to see this. We have no intrinsic, by nature, by birth, we have no intrinsic might in ourselves in which to walk in order to withstand Satan's hindering attack. We can't stop him. We cannot withstand his attacks in our own strength, in our own might. We have none. There's nothing we can do. And we cannot do it alone. We must do it together. There's only a certain amount that we can resist on our own we have to do it together why because the unity of the husband and wife is to display the strength and the power and the glory of the unity of the persons of God always it goes back to God always it goes back to God always so how to walk together how to walk in the strength of his might well one of the things and there's several ways but just want to list one avenue in particular We need to remember that we are in Christ and that he has given us his power to resist the devil and to overcome his schemes. So first, let's remember that. We have the strength of the Holy Spirit in us. Amen. You see, we have been given the very strength of Jesus himself by the Spirit. We must remember that each one of us who are saved have been given the very strength of the Son of God by the Holy Spirit. We have the same strength that he had. Why? Because we have the same spirit that was in Christ. So that's important to know. You see, if, I, if the water in my house, and I've used this a lot is not flowing through the pipe. I do not call the surgeon water board and ask for more water to be put in the pipes. All the water that is in the pipes is in the pipes because, you know, that's the way it works, correct? So there's something stopping up the flow. And if I'm not experiencing the strength of the Holy Spirit, the strength of the person of Christ himself, it's not the fault of God to give me greater strength. I don't need any greater strength. I need that strength released, flowing. I need God to tell me how my sin, my resistance, my ignorance, my whatever, is hindering the flow of the strength of his spirit, of the strength of his own son in me. We have been strengthened by God. You see, Jesus is the armor of God. It says, put on the full armor of God. The full armor of God, this is an analogy using Roman, you know, weaponry and so on, armor, that Paul is using to give an example of what the armor looks like. But 
Who is this armor? What is this armor essentially? It is putting on Christ. It is putting on him. Remember what Paul said in Romans 13, 14. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no provision for the flesh to gratify his desires. Put on Christ. Put on Christ. Well, I already have him on. Yes. But that's putting on Christ consciously, regularly, persistently, purposefully, looking to him Asking of him, submitting to him, listening to him, obeying him, reading about him and his word. Put on Christ. In order to know what his strength looks like, where do we find that? We look at what the Gospels say about Jesus. And we look at how Jesus resisted the works of the devil or the schemes of the hindering work of the devil. So let's do this for a moment. Let's see what Jesus' walk looked like. When Jesus was hungry, he stood in the strength of the Holy Spirit. Do I do that? Do I submit to, call upon, decide to stand in the strength of the Spirit? Or am I going to complain, get frustrated, get angry? Whatever the issue is in the marriage or in the church. When Jesus was mistreated. Any of you husbands and wives ever feel mistreated by the other? How many times? It's not if, but what? How many times? Remember last week I said, what is the, what is the fundamental problem in our marriages? We are human beings. Human beings. And women, you married a human man. Whew. Men, you married a human woman. But when Jesus was mistreated, when I'm mistreated or Jean feels she's mistreated, When Jesus was mistreated, he stood in the strength of the Spirit. I need to look at him and remember that as he stood in that day in that gospel, he also will stand in me as I look to him and call upon him and receive and obey his work of standing against the schemes of the enemy. When Jesus was insulted, what did he do? He stood in the strength of the Spirit. Ladies, how do you respond when your husband insults you? Husbands, how do we respond when we feel insulted? When Jesus was rejected, any of us ever felt rejected by the other at any time for any reason? Yes. He stood in the strength of the Spirit. When he was confronted with the demonic, he stood in the strength of the Spirit. When he was accused... You accuse me of this, you accuse me of that, I accuse you. He stood in the strength of the Spirit. When Jesus' love was rejected, how often do we find ourselves rejecting one another's love or questioning the love, and et cetera, and how it's coming across and its effect and its pre- all that. He stood in the strength of the Spirit. When he was in the midst of the storms, whatever kind of storm, what did he do? He stood in the strength of the Spirit. And when he was crucified, he stood in the strength of the Spirit. That's what he did. In any and every circumstance and situation, any attack or problem, the Savior of our souls stood in the power of God's might as he depended upon the power of the Holy Spirit as his strength. This is what the Holy Spirit is calling us to do as husbands and wives. We must know how Jesus did it. Knowing this, that as he did it in the Gospels, as they record him, 
he can and will do it in us. But we must call it to remembrance. And we must want his glory to be manifested and to be functioning in us more than we want our own ways and our own attitudes and our own feelings to control us. Amen? That's the linchpin. Remember what James 4, 7 says. What does it say? Therefore, submit yourselves to God. Do what we just said. Go to the Word. Resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. You see, God has joined a man and a woman together as one flesh to walk through this world, this valley of the shadow of death, as representing him and declaring the glory of his triunity. This is our calling, our great responsibility, and our great joy. When Satan seeks to hinder them, they are not to see the other as the adversary, but to see Satan as the adversary. Remember what verse 12 says? For we don't wrestle against what flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, etc. My wife is not my adversary. Your husband is not your adversary. Satan is there hindering in all of these things. In the midst of our weaknesses, as they are faultily functioning through our distinctive roles. That's what's going on. We're walking through the mud of this world and we're falling a lot and failing a lot. But in that, Satan will use it as a hindering work. But what we can do is stand in the strength of God's might and allow God to grow his flowers of grace in these areas rather than the weeds of sin. The husband and his wife are to see one another as God's specific gift to one another. As the husband lovingly leads his wife as Christ lovingly leads his bride, and the wife lovingly coming alongside of the husband as his helper, as the church submits to Christ, to express the inexpressible, to make the invisible God visible, to make known the wonders of the mystery of God to a dying and lost world, you see. This is the glory of a Christian marriage that displays God's triunity. Amen.